Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Well, today's topic is certainly one that we'd all like to hear more about. Heaven. It's a place of, well, what kind of a place do you think it is? You may picture heaven to be some sort of never-ending resting place, a kind of celestial retirement home. Or maybe you think it's a place where you can do whatever you want. Others like to imagine a beautiful architecture, scenery, and music. And yes, there are many notions of what heaven will be like. But what does the Bible say? After all, It is God's heaven. And hasn't he told us something of what that place will really be like? Well, yes, he has. But does that description fit yours? You may be surprised. In today's message, evangelist Eugene Higgins takes a look at what the scriptures have to say about heaven. And more importantly, he explains to us how we can know for sure that we're going to be there. Mr. Higgins begins with the parable from Luke chapter 15, in which the Lord Jesus gives us the first clue as to what heaven it will really be like. I'd like to read with you in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, please. Beginning at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness? And go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now last evening we began to turn our attention to the chart, and although it may be a bit daunting to look at for the first time, it actually divides into two sections, which will be very easy to follow. The first on the left has to do with the future for individuals. If you would like to know where you will be forever, all you would need to do would be to find out where you are on this map, two roads, a narrow way that leads to heaven and the broad way that leads to hell. Find out what road you're on, extend that road beyond the experience of death, and you would find out where you would be were you to die tonight. You're in a gospel meeting. That literally means good news meeting. And the good news is that if you are on the broad way, if you are headed to destruction, that tonight that destiny can be altered by trusting the Lord Jesus. So the left-hand section of the chart deals with individuals, the future for men and women, the future for individuals. But the main body of the chart deals with the future for the world. It depicts for us events that will take place after the Lord Jesus comes for his people. That is commonly called the rapture. When he comes to take from the earth those who are saved and to take us to heaven, these events will take place. They're pictured by these icons, and they will culminate in the visible, physical, literal, actual return of the Lord Jesus to this world to set up his kingdom, the first stage of which will be a thousand-year, a millennial reign, and that will be the beginning of the eternal kingdom 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these are tremendously sweeping events. They involve every human being. And tonight we are focusing once more on the left-hand section and the future for men and women, and particularly what heaven is like. Maybe your experience is like mine. I have met people who assume that they are going to heaven. They have never checked to find what heaven is really like. They have never stopped to find out what requirements there are to getting there. They just assume they're going there because the opposite is unthinkable. Why would they ever go to hell? And therefore they assume that heaven is where they will be when they die. So part of the responsibility I have tonight will be to give you a description of heaven in the hopes that that's where you will want to be when life is done, and then to tell you about the people who will be there so that you can find out whether you are on the road that leads to heaven, whether you tonight are on the way to heaven. If I asked you to give me one word, if we were playing a, a word association game, and I said heaven, and I asked you to give me a word that springs to mind immediately about heaven, what word would come to your mind? From Luke 15, I learned that there's a word that the Lord Jesus uses again and again and again to describe heaven. He could have told us about how holy it is, and it is holy. He could have told us how perfect it is, and it is ideal. He could have told us about the, the comfort that's there, the solace, the consolation. But when he wanted to emphasize what heaven is like, he kept striking a note in Luke chapter 15. And what a note it was. Again and again and again, he reminded us that heaven is a place of joy. Heaven is a place of rejoicing. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. Joy in heaven. Joy in the heart of the Father. Joy in the heart of the shepherd. Joy in the heart of the owner who has recovered the lost money. And again and again, the Savior presents to us heaven as a place of eternal joy. That becomes all the more amazing. It stands out in all the greater relief when you see that in the very next chapter, the Lord Jesus tells us about hell and describes the misery, the grief, the judgment that falls on a person there, the isolation, the loneliness. So what a contrast is this wonderful place called heaven. What is it like? Well, I'm just going to limit myself to Bible language so that I don't make a mistake here. I'd like to tell you what the Bible has to say about heaven. We live in a world of suffering. If you're not suffering now, one day you will suffer. We all suffer. The world is filled with suffering men and women. If you've ever been in a home where they have one of those uh, annoying police scanners in the corner that just keep babbling away with all the news, imagine if you had a scanner that could scan the hospitals of the world. Imagine if you could just tune in to just a percentage, a small, minuscule percentage of the overwhelming sorrow in our world tonight. Heaven is the opposite to all of that. It is a paradise. What a word the Lord Jesus chose. You would expect it from the master preacher, wouldn't you? When in Luke chapter 23, a dying malefactor turns to the Lord Jesus and says, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. This great event that was so far in the future then. Remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And of all the words the Lord Jesus could have used, of all the terminology he could have employed, of all the nomenclatures he could have brought to bear on this subject, he says to the dying man, paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. What is heaven? It's the opposite to all the suffering that takes place here. Think of that man on a cross. We have a word in the English language that was invented. It was cobbled together, if you will, from the experience of crucifixion. It is the word excruciating. It means out of the cross. People who saw what it was like for a person to be put to death by means of crucifixion, 
They invented the word, pain out of the cross, excruciating. This man is going through excruciating agony. I read about a scientist who wanted to experiment with crucifixion. He had a frame built in his lap. Of course, he wasn't nailed. He was tied. He made the arrangement with the two assistants. They would tie him up, suspended by his wrists and ankles. He'd be tied up on this framework. And he said, now, if I can't take it anymore, I'll tell you, cut me down. So they tied him and erected the framework. No nails, no crown of thorns, no ripped open back. In 10 minutes, he was screaming in agony, cut me down, cut me down. Just the pain of being suspended by those points on your body. The sense of drowning while you're on dry land. The sense of, of not being able even to breathe. Excruciating. The Lord Jesus turns to a man who is going through excruciating pain and says, today you will be with me in paradise. If you die tonight, is there a paradise waiting for you on the other side of death? Are you sure that you will be in heaven? That's what awaits. That's what lies before every person who is saved. He is on, she is on the way to paradise. I was having meetings in Boston some time ago, and it was one of those happy nights when a number of people wanted to talk after the meeting. A woman had brought a friend out that night, and she came up to me and she said, my friend wants to talk to you, and she wonders if you would meet us at our equivalent of your Tim Hortons. Not as good as Tim Hortons. You got us beat there. But Dunkin' Donuts, would you meet us at Dunkin' Donuts down on Route 1? So we went. This is what she said to me. You know, she said, I just figured I, 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 I don't know. I just figured everything was okay until I heard the gospel. She said, when I heard the gospel, I, I realized I, I, don't ha I don't have what my friend has. I, I don't, I'm not saved. But she said, now, tonight in that meeting, now, I'll give you her words, blunt as they are. She said, tonight in that meeting, it was as though God slapped me on the side of the head and said, why would you not want to go to heaven? Why would you not want to go to heaven? She said, I had no answer for that. Well, of course I would want to go to heaven. Dear boy, girl, woman, man in the meeting tonight, why would you not want to know when you leave the building tonight that you will be in heaven? We live in such an uncertain world. Life is so tenuous, so fragile. It takes so little to blow us off the planet, doesn't it? Why would you not want to be absolutely positive that you are on the way to paradise, to heaven? Let me give you another description. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 14, he called heaven the Father's house, the Father's house. Do you know what happens here in this world? There's constant separation. We're constantly saying goodbye. I wrote some of my children when I came here, and I said there's not another thing in the world that would make me leave my family than this, gospel preaching. We're constantly saying goodbye. There's a more permanent sense of goodbye sometimes, isn't there? A marriage relationship can be built over 40, 50, 60 years, and then along comes death and just rips it apart. And the remaining spouse is left to cry his or her heart out at a graveside, knowing that my right hand is gone. The person I shared my life with is gone. We're constantly, we're constantly saying goodbye. No goodbyes up there. That's the father's house. And not one of his children are going to be missing. I'm told that uh, Thanksgiving is, is perhaps not as big a thing in Canada as it is in the United States. It's not because we're more thankful. It just happens to be that Thanksgiving is the only four-day holiday we have, four-day weekend that we have. So therefore, it's a huge weekend for travel. And I have never, to my knowledge, I've never missed a Thanksgiving with my family. And I remember once being in Canada and looking at the calendar. I was having meetings in Hamilton, and I thought, you idiot, it's November. And as, the closer we got to that Thursday, I was thinking, what, what was in your mind? And I began to think about my, my sister and her husband and family coming from Maine, coming down to, to my father's house, my brother 
and his family would be coming over to my father's house. My wife would be getting our children and heading to my father's house. Well, I'm going to tell you what I did to get to that Thanksgiving, and I didn't miss a meeting to do it. But would you understand what I meant if I told you that in 1980, when my father died, there was a change. Oh, we still had Thanksgiving, and we had it in the same house. But you were always conscious that a chair was empty. Metaphorically, there was no empty chair around the table. But you always knew it. It just wasn't the same. My mother died in 2000. I was always glad that she died before 9-11-2001 came, so she didn't have to live to see the kind of world we've entered into. We had Thanksgiving that year, our family, in the hospital. They allowed us a room to the side, and that's where we met while she was down the hall dying. It made such a change. We try to carry on the tradition, and we still try to get together. But those of you who have known bereavement, you understand it's just, it's just not the same. You're, you're aware. There's people missing that meant a lot to you. I'm going to a place where not one of my family is going to be missing. And I don't mean the Higgins family or the Rodolfi family. I mean God's family. Not one of God's children is going to be missing. Not one. No empty seats. Nobody tiptoeing past a spot on the table and thinking, she should have been here. He should have been here. Every one of God's children from all over the world, from all time, will be there in the Father's house, the whole family together. And the Lord Jesus will be able to say, behold, I and the children that God has given me. And what a congregation it will be. What a family reunion it will be. How about you? You headed for that paradise. You headed for that Father's house. Are you one of God's children? Will you be there when God brings all his family safely home to heaven? We're given another description about heaven. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it's home, home. What a glorious word that is, home, to be at home with the Lord. Do you know what home is? Home is where everything is the way you want it. To the best of your ability, everything is the way you want it. I've visited in some wonderful homes. It would be the heights of audacity for me to say to the people, move the piano over here. And I don't like the couch against that window. I'd rather the couch was over here and the carpet has to be pulled up. It's their home. They have their home the way they want it. I have a home where everything is exactly the way I want it to be. And it's exactly the way every Christian wants it to be. We're going to step into a place where it is home. Nobody will have to show me the ropes. They won't have to explain to me what it's like, what they do, what they say, who they worship, what it's like. I'll be in a land where sin will never enter, where separation will never be known, where sorrow will never be felt. It will be home. Societies from almost time immemorial have imagined some sort of afterlife that they fashioned after their preferences so that the warriors, the Norse warriors, they imagined Valhalla and retired warriors rehearsed their wonderful victories and were waited on hand and foot. And others imagined there would be large fields that they could just kind of meander for eternity, reciting poetry and thinking deep thoughts. So you could turn around and say, well, well, you Christians, you've invented a heaven that suits you. That's what you want it to be. But you see, here's the difference. That's not what I wanted before I was saved. I didn't want to live in a world of holiness. I didn't even enjoy being with preachers. I mean, the preachers I listened to, they weren't like me. They were men that would frighten you. There was something of God about them. And when they stood at the back door, I didn't even want to shake hands with them. What was I ever going to do in God's presence? Heaven wasn't what I wanted. I didn't make heaven into what I wanted it to be. God made me into what heaven is. He changed me to want that kind of a world. I enjoy living. I enjoy what I'm doing. But when I have to leave this world, I'm so glad I'm going home. I'm going to be in the presence of my Father and with believers from all ages forever. Do you have a home? One of the tragedies of the last part of the 20th century was the plight of the homeless. 
And at least in my country, more so than here, there were cities that were filled with people who slept outdoors and barely subsisting and had no homes. What an unutterable tragedy it is for men and women to have no home for eternity in heaven, to be homeless in that sense of the word. When God has opened his home to you and is inviting you to come and live forever with him. It's paradise. It's the Father's house. It's to be at home. And if that's not good enough, we're reminded in Philippians chapter 1 that to be in heaven is to be with Christ, which is very far better. You see, if you gave a logical thinking, sane individual a choice between existing forever in a place of comfort or existing forever in a place of torment. Is there any question what the choice would be? If the person is sane thinking, would he rather live in comfort or in pain? I'll make this personal. Do you understand that to me, and I'm speaking on behalf of every Christian that's in this building and every Christian in the world, do you understand that to me, heaven is not merely a preferable alternative to hell? It's not just that I prefer going to heaven instead of being in hell. It's that there would be something horribly missing from my life if I was never going to be with the man who died for me. And if you said that he was in Toronto, then Toronto would be heaven to me. And if he was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, then the Christians here, we'd want to be in Winnipeg, Manitoba, because that would be heaven. And ahead, the future, the destiny for every person who is saved is to be in paradise, to be in the Father's house, to be at home, to be with Christ. It's the opposite to all the suffering and sin and separation and sorrow that takes place here. You say, well, that, that, that just sounds so incredible. How could that be real? Have you never been in magnificent edifices? Have you never seen pictures of the Taj Mahal in Agra? Have you, have you never been in large mansions and wondered at the work, the beauty of the architecture or the design of the sculptures that might be in it? Have you never thought to yourself, this is just phenomenal what the architects did here, what the designers did here, what the workmen did here. Now, are you telling me that the God of heaven cannot build a place to surpass anything that we have ever imagined in our wildest flights of imagination? Because heaven is the things I have told you because there's one thing that's not in heaven. Do you know why there is suffering and sorrow and separation in this world? Because there's sin. Do you know why there is no suffering? and sorrow, and separation in heaven, because sin will never enter, never. In fact, when you get to the book of Revelation, there's a wonderful touch that God the Spirit puts into that book. Do you remember? Do you remember how John records it? He doesn't merely say there is no curse. He says there shall be no curse. He's not merely talking about how it is as he sees it, but what it will be forever. There will never be another rebellion against God. There will never be another uprising of some creatures who will demand that God listen to them and do things their way. There shall be no more any of those things because sin will be gone forever. With all our hearts, we want you. We want you to be in heaven with us. That's what we want. So if that's what the place is like, and I hope, I hope that has begotten a thirst in your heart. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but when life is done for you, do you want to be in heaven? Do you want to be sure you'll be in heaven? Let me tell you about the people who will go there and more importantly, tell you how you could become one of them. I'll give you Bible descriptions for them. Everybody who is going to be in heaven will reach heaven by the blood of Christ. Everyone who's going to be in heaven gets there through what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. No one gets to heaven by being a good person. No one gets to heaven by being baptized. No one gets to heaven by going to church. Men and women who go to heaven, they reach heaven through the blood of Christ. And you will find again and again in the book of Revelation, their language is, he is worthy. He was slain. 
He redeemed us to God by his blood. The unmistakable language of Revelation chapter 7 is this. When John sees this innumerable throng around the throne of God and the Lamb, he's told they're here because they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Their sins were washed away. So if you want to know whether you're going to be in heaven, if you want to know if you're on that narrow way, just ask yourself, was there a day in my life? Was there a time? Is there a place somewhere in this wide world, some green spot of grass, some bedroom, some car, some meeting, some gospel hall? And that was the place, that was the time where my sins were washed away in the blood of Christ. Because everyone who's going to be in heaven has been redeemed. Yes, heaven, it's a place of eternal joy, a place of never-ending peace. It's a place that we can truly call home. It's being where Christ is. But as Mr. Higgins has explained, it's only heaven for those who have been prepared for it, for those who have been redeemed, for those who have been given a nature that enjoys the absence of sin and the presence of holiness. Just think of it. It would be an awful place for people with their sins unforgiven, for those who are only interested in sinful pleasures. Yes, my friend, heaven, it's a place for prepared people. Are you prepared? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Or are you still on the road to hell? And is there the absence of God in your life, the absence of joy and the absence of peace? We urge you to trust Christ and start on the road to heaven today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gospel hall nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.